0: John 21. I am looking forward to some Jack Stack barbecue later today, and I am uh, excited about that uh, because I always am. But it's especially good on Father's Day. Barbecue just tastes better on Father's Day. That's just the way it is. So, isn't that right, Aaron? You're with you me on that. It? Are you really? Oh yeah. Yeah. Good. What do you What are you grilling? A lot. A lot? A lot? Chicken? What time do we eat, Aaron? All right, well, we're looking at what happens when a powerful cleric encounters the living Lord. And we're looking at John chapter 21. In fact, let's just go ahead and read that together. Let's read verses 1 through 14 and see this close encounter that Peter, as well as six other disciples had, but it's really about Peter. Let's take a look at it. John chapter 21. Let's look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. This is our third close encounter, or our fourth close encounter that we're looking at. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. More than likely, these guys were in fishing business together. They're on the Sea of Galilee. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night, they caught what? Nothing. But when the day was now breaking, symbolizing as well the new age, of Christ's resurrection, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He's with us. We often miss him. So Jesus said to him, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no, thanks for bringing that up. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know is the this, uh, John who wrote this gospel. So, therefore, the, the that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord he put on He put his outer garment on for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Hey, I got to get dressed for Jesus and then jumps in the sea and swims or jumps in the lake and swims to him. But the other disciples came in the little boat for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, "'Bring some of the fish which you have now caught.' Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to him, "'Come and have breakfast.' None of the disciples ventured to question, "'Who are you?' Knowing that it was the Lord, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and the fish likewise." This is now the third time that Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, we said last week that this is kind of a two-part, elongated, close encounter. And we're we're breaking it up between verses 1 through 14 and verses 15 through 25. We'll look at the the climax of this next week, verses 15 through 25. But today, I want to finish out looking at just exactly what is going on. We're looking at the carnal, perhaps merely casual followers. The seven were busy, but they were barren. They were busy, Better not write on that screen. They were busy, but they were barren. And so we, we have four truths here for busy but barren disciples. And I think that really expresses a lot of Christianity today. Busy, busy, busy. In fact, uh, uh, going to uh, Southern Seminary, I kind of described that whole environment there. They're busy Baptists, busy about good things, the Great Commission, but always busy, busy. Busy but perhaps barren. And so the four truths that we looked at, the first one was last week, we live in the tension between the now and the not yet. The tension between the now and the not yet. And I want you to really, really get that in your mind, that these guys are trying to figure out their lives between the resurrection and and the ascension. Jesus has not yet ascended. The Spirit has not yet come down. The church has not yet been born. What do I do in this tension between that time where He's risen? And they know, they know that He's risen. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going fi-. I mean, Christ is risen. And He's appearing to them. And they're saying, I'm going fishing. And so the question becomes... Why did Peter say this? Why did Peter say this? And I think it's because he's in that tension between the now, Christ is risen, and the not yet that he's ascended. But you and I live in that same tension. We live between the ascension and yet He has not yet returned. And in a way, we're in the same tension of we know He's risen. We know that. You've trusted Him as Savior. You know He is seated at the right hand of the Father as the King of kings. And yet, we don't see Him. We tend to forget Him in the now and the not yet. And we're like, oh yeah, He's coming, but that's way later. But it could be when. It could be today. It could be right now. That means that the last 24 hours were your last 24 hours to do anything for Jesus. If you knew that the next 24 hours were the last 24 hours to do something for Jesus Christ of eternal value, how would you live the next 24 hours? And the reality is, we ought to live each 24 hours with that same mentality the the next 12 hours the next 1 hour how would you worship today for the next 2 hours at life bridge if you knew jesus was coming at the end of the service hey jesus look at these doodles <laughs> you know hey jesus look oh, you know think about it that's what the tension is here now we said number 2 that during that tension we're also tempted We're tempted to return to the old way of life. And we basically, I was trying to establish last week that I think when Peter says... I'm going fishing. He was going back to the old habits. He was back in the place that they were from, Galilee of the Gentiles. He was back to the old business that he had with the brothers James and John and his brother Andrew. He's going back to the old habits. And we went through and we said, is going fishing what should be done in light of? And I won't go through those seven things, but those for me... Those seven facts are the context of the Gospel of John. When you read John 21, please understand, John and Jesus is assuming you've read 20 chapters leading up to it. Some of the reason we don't always understand the Bible is we dive into it piecemeal. We're not continually reading through the entire Bible on a regular basis. I don't care how long it takes you to do it. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And so when we come to chapter 21, he's like, hey after you get through the first 20 chapters of John and all Peter has to say is I'm going fishing, I think there's carnality or at least a casualness about spiritual truths that is taking place. The question of carnality versus spirituality. How do I know if I'm living a carnal life? Well, ask, think about the old purpose in life was look out for yourself. Look at verse 3. Peter said to them, I am going fishing. There's an old purpose in life there that's looking out for self. There's an old priority. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it, to take care of myself. There's number three, the old pursuit in life. I'm going fishing for him. That represented what he used to do. That represented fishing for fish. And we're going to see in this study that Jesus had called them way back in chapter one to fish for what? Fish for men. Now, if there's any time to fulfill your calling, it's after Christ has risen. Wouldn't you agree? And yet, he's fishing for fish. Old pursuits are coming back. Number four, the old power in life. I'm going fishing. And what does he get after a whole night of fishing? What does he catch? Nothing. Nothing. And you know what? No matter how productive your life may be in the flesh no matter how productive you setting Jesus aside to do your thing, no matter how successful you may be, when you come to the end of your life, Christ returns, we stand before Him at the judgment seat, you will have caught nothing. It will be nothing. And that's a powerful, that's a, that's a powerful point old power in life, fleshly effort, catches nothing. And then the old personality. Uh, Peter's exercising this powerful personality and he's leading others, but where is he leading them to? To the old way of life. And so leaders are going to lead. And if you've got influence, and guess what? Every one of us has influence with somebody. If you're Taking your influence and you're leading yourself in a carnal way of life back to the old way of life. Whoever you have influence on are following you in that foolishness. Or at least they're tempted to. And so that's where we left it. Now, the third truth that I want you to see today is this. We are tested We are tested by the risen Lord to repent and live a new way of life. And so the good news of this series is Jesus meets us where we are. So even when we're living carnally between this now and not yet, and we're pursuing the old way of life, Jesus is willing to meet us where we are, but he's not going to leave us. He's going to test us, and he's going to test us to see if we'll repent and live a new way of life that is on mission for him and his people. So, let's see verse 4. But when the day was now breaking, it was a new time, it was the new age, the kingdom has broken in through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Wow. Now first of all I want to make quick mention it says that he stood. One of the things that I discovered in the last couple weeks studying this, I didn't realize in every other appearance it says Jesus stood when he appeared. So so it doesn't, you know, like when he enters the room where they're locked in, he's not walk, you know, like walking through the door appearing and talking. No, all he he's when G, When the risen Lord appears, he stands now if that 's repeated in every appearance, what is that we, we should draw some application from that right and so here 's one Jesus meets us where he, where where we are, but he doesn 't chase us. Are you with me on this? Jesus meets us where we are. But he meets us as a sovereign Lord. He doesn't, he's not panicked. Oh man, my disciples are fishing. Those crazy guys, they never learn. Hey guys, get on the shore. We've got a mission to do. I'm panicked. Hey, here I am. No, he he stands. He meets us where we are. But he's not going to chase you in your foolishness. There's an image of God in much of contemporary music and contemporary preaching in so-called Bible-believing churches, that make Jesus uh, make God out, or Jesus, doesn't matter, Jesus God, as if He's just always running after us, no matter where we go. That we can just live any old way we want, and He has this reckless love that's going to chase us down all the time. Hey, Jesus is appearing, and He's standing. He's standing. And He loves us. But he doesn't diminish his sovereignty in his pursuit of us. Does that help? Second of all, I think it tells us when he stands, he's standing as Lord. He's standing because he's large and in charge. And so, while it's comforting to know Jesus will meet me where I am, understand that when he meets me, he's going to be standing there with authority and calling us to be his obedient, loving disciple. So this is good. So here's the question. The question of carnality versus spirituality is measured by just the reverse of the old ways. And I want you to take Galatians 5. So turn your Bibles to Galatians 5, 13 through 26. Because I believe they were living carnally, The opposite of living carnally is living spiritually in the Spirit. Well, the classic passage on living in the Spirit is Galatians 5, 13 through 26. Galatians 5, 13 through 26. And as you move through Galatians 5, 13 through 26, you're going to find that we have a new purpose. We have a new priority, we have new pursuits, we have a new power, we have a new personality. And so the very opposite of what they were doing is what Jesus is calling us to. And so notice, we who are spiritual, we who are living for spiritual purposes, we have a new purpose in life, and it's this, Galatians 5.13. Look at it with me, and then I'll give you the blank. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom, brethren... In other words, you're free to fish. You're free to do you're free. You're free to do things that aren't sinful. It's okay. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. And so the answer to our new purpose is serve others, not self. Serve others, not self. When Peter said, "I'm going fishing," it was about who? I'm going fishing. Who was about? Okay. It was about Him. Okay? And they were called to something greater than just recreating. Recreation is great. But do it through love to serve others. Number two, a new priority in life. Look at verses 14 and 15. Here's the new priority. Look at verses 14 through 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. The new priority in life is love. It's love, obedience to Christ before our all else. Obedience to Christ before all else. Next week, we're going to see Jesus is going to ask Peter three times, what question? Do you love me? And when he says yes, what does the Lord say? Feed my sheep. So, in other words, love is not words. It's obedience to the mission. And so, our new priority is obedience to Christ before all else and others before self. Others before, because that's what love is. Love is putting others before yourself. That's our new priority in life. Number three, we have new pursuits in life. New pursuits. And for this, we're going we're to switch to Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. Turn back to Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. And we see the new pursuit. There's only two times in the Gospels, Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. Verses four. There's only two times in the Gospels where they have a miraculous catch of fish. John 21 is the second one. The first one is here in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. Look at it. Luke chapter 5. Let's look at verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, which is Peter, "...put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said..." Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. Hmm. Sound familiar? Yeah, it's, it's it's almost the exact wording. But because of your instruction, I will let down your the down the net. There's the obedience. There's the obedience. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So this time they didn't count them. And this time the net is breaking. The point is not the capturing of fish this time. The point is, look at who I am and follow me. And so notice it goes on, and so they signal to their partners in the other boat, which was probably James and John, for they for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled up both the boats so that they began to sink. So many fish, Jeff, that the boat began to sink. Have you had that experience yet? Would you love to? Would you love to? Yes, yes that would be glorious, you know. Because now, you know, you catch seven fish and that's your quota or something. I don't know, what is it? The limit. It's your limit. Yeah, sorry. You can tell how much I do that. So they signaled to their partners and it began to sink. Verse eight, but when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For the for amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, I said they were business partners in the fishing business, sons of Zebedee, who were who, who who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. So here's all I'm saying. Is you have a new, new pursuit in life. They were fishing for fish. They were called to fish for men. Now, after the resurrection, they're going back to fishing for fish. And he's like, hey... Remember that catch of fish when I called you to fish for men? Well, guess what? Now you got the resurrection power to do it. Now is the time to be fishing for men, not recreating and fishing for fish. And so the new pursuit is follow him and fish for men. Follow him and fish for men and he's going to add next week, feed the sheep. You see... He, He's calling them to this purpose of evangelism, fishing for men, and discipleship, feeding the sheep on mission for him to, guess who what? To all peoples. They're up there in the Gentile area of Galilee, where the people for whom Christ died, where the great commission is to be lived out among all peoples. And number four, they have a new power in life. We're going to go back to Galatians 5 now. A new power in life. Let's look at Galatians 5, 16 through 21. As we look at 16 through 21, we see that Paul says in verse 16, "...but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh." For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. You can't serve Jesus in the flesh. The only way, the only power to fulfill the pursuit of evangelism and discipleship on mission is through the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. This isn't legalism. This isn't religion. This isn't following a set of rules. This isn't checking off the boxes. This is listening to the Spirit of God speak to you through the Word of God and living each day not with what I'm going to do, but Lord, what do you want me to do today? Because I've got my agenda, I surrender my agenda, I've got to go to work. But while I'm working, I want to be on mission for you. So, so open my eyes to what's going on around me. Now how many of you, like me, slog through a week, and you're just glad you made it through the week? Right? And you're thankful to Jesus, and you at least pray to Him before your meal and say, Thank you, Lord, good, good week this week. But how much have we missed? How many opportunities to point people to Jesus? How many opportunities to give praise to to our God? How many opportunities to love on people? Just simply loving them, encouraging them. And then we have, well, let's finish that out. Verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, putting anything before God, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. He can't even name them all. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this is really important. Well, number five, we have a new personality in life. Oh, I'm sorry, our new power is power of the spirit, not the flesh. I don't know if I gave you that. Power of the spirit, not the flesh. And you say, how do I know if I'm walking in the spirit? Well, well how do I know if I'm walking in the flesh? Well, that there, he just gave you a description of life in the flesh. But what's our new personality well the new personality is fruit of the spirit not works of the flesh. The new personality is works uh, fruit of the spirit not works of the flesh. Look at verses 22 through 25. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there are no law. When the Spirit leads you, you don't have to constrain yourself by checking off lists. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. One of the greatest truths, and we'll we'll see this in two weeks, one of the greatest truths of this series is this. No matter what your personality is, God wants to fill you with His Spirit. You, you will never truly be you until you walk in the Spirit and let the fruit of the Spirit take your unique personality and shape it to be the person you were always intended to be. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? So if you're discouraged today, keep walking in the Spirit. You'll become more like Christ. If if, if you failed this week and you feel guilty, confess it. Repent of that. But ask Jesus, beginning each day, start the day out. It's too late at the end of the day. The day is done. All you can do at the end of the day is confess. But at the beginning of the day, you can say, Lord, I want to walk with your Spirit. Speak to me through your Word. And I want to become the unique me that I am in you. Listen, which Peter would you want to know? Peter before he got saved and walk in the Spirit, or Peter after? Yeah, after. You know, which Mary do you want to be? The old Mary or the new Mary? Which Thomas do you want to be? Demanding Thomas? Or do you want to be my Lord and my God Thomas? Well, that's the change that he wants to do in our lives. So, that's the test. The test is, between the now and the not yet, will we walk in the Spirit and follow Jesus for who He really is, alright? So, here's the fourth truth for, for busy but barren disciples. We are treated by the risen Lord to the benefits of the new way of life. Because here's the deal, living for Jesus means picking up, denying self and picking up your cross. So you say, hey, this is going to be costly, it sounds like you're talking about uh, taking time away from things I want to do to read the Word. Yeah, we're talking about that. You're, it sounds like you're saying, start my day out, carve out time to where I give time to Jesus. Yeah, that's going to be sacrifice. That's going to be work. It sounds like you're, a, you're asking that sometimes I may want to do something, and the Spirit says no, and I'll have to forsake and follow. Yes, but what are the benefits Well, we see the benefits, go back to John 21, we see the benefits in verses 7 through 14. Here's the beauty of it. Here's the beauty of it. Number one, the charcoal fire was already provided by the Lord. And this is going to be significant. Isn't this beautiful? You've been fishing all night, you're wet, you're tired, you're cold you've caught nothing, suddenly you have this miraculous catch of fish that is really straining you to bring in. And yet, when you get there, Jesus is like, fire already made. Man, wouldn't that have been comforting? And that was creature comfort, wasn't it? See, Jesus isn't all about just providing for you in this spiritual, abstract way. He can provide for you creature comforts. There's a fire. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the fire. It was already provided. Now, what's important about the charcoal fire, and I've mentioned it several times, but I just can't get over it. In the Gospel of John, there's only two charcoal fires where any disciple is warming themselves. The first one is in John 18, where Peter denies Christ three times. He warms himself physically and he freezes himself out spiritually with denial. Here he's going to warm himself and the Lord's going to restore him. Isn't that beautiful? The charcoal fire was already ready. Number two. Oh, and let me say this. That reminds us that the new way of life begins where the old one left off. In other words, you can't start the new life without reconciling and breaking with the old one. Peter, you denied me at a fire, I'm going to restore you at a fire, because you've got to go back. You can't just pretend that didn't happen. Our fellowship is broken, I'm going to restore you. Number two, the grilled fish were already provided. Isn't that beautiful? They, they, They fished all night, and Jesus said, well, here they are. But he tells them, bring some of what you caught. So this isn't like, oh, hey, I don't have to work anymore. Jesus will provide. I know you were hoping for that, right? Bill was hoping to get out of this heat. No, you still got to go in the heat. But you know what? Even with the heat, the grass dying, business is crazy, customers going nuts, Jesus is going to provide. Jesus is going to provide. Isn't that good? Jesus makes it clear that he's not dependent on them to catch fish. He already has fish. He's got all the fish he needs. But... They need to obey Him. We need to obey Him and do what we our part because He wants to provide through what we do as well. The, reason, the risen Lord doesn't need us, but we need Him. But He does want to partner with us. Number three, the baked bread was already provided. The baked bread was already provided. Again, the only other place where grilled fish and baked bread are provided by the Lord is John 6. And in John 6, Jesus is trying to show them, Depend on me, not your own efforts. This is huge. In John, well, let's turn there. John 6. John 6, 67 through 69. After the feeding of the 5,000, in John 6, 67 through We'll start in verse 66. John six sixty six. Everybody was running around, wearing themselves out, trying to get a, a fresh bread handout from Jesus. And Jesus finally turned to the multitudes and said, Look, you don't work for bread that won't last, that won't satisfy. Instead, work for me. I'm the living bread. I'm the bread from heaven. And here's the response of the mass. Multitudes, verse 66, and a result of this, many of His disciples withdrew and were not walking with Him anymore. Why are you following Jesus? For the benefits or because of who He is? The Lord provides benefits, but we don't serve Him for what He gives, we serve Him for who He is, all right? So Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So here's Jesus again, giving fish, giving bread, reminding them, guys, hey, I'm the Holy One. I'm the Lord. I'm the center of your life. Number four, the fish were actually eating. Eaten. The fish were actually eaten. Um, Jesus wants to provide for us spiritually and physically. But this whole story isn't really about those fish, is it? It's about their heart, it's about their passion, it's about their purpose. And is it focused on living for Him? Number five, the big catch was accurately counted in their efforts zero in his efforts 153 i still i think these things are important because why because uh i thought you were putting a spell on me for a minute sorry (laughs) um it's important because does jesus have all the fish he needs and yet, in the command, was Jesus just performing miracles? No, that, those fish were important. What you do and the results of your work, dads, your parenting, is significant. And what you do is counted and, and taken into account by Jesus. In other words, as we live between the now and not yet, we feel like day in, day out, what am I doing? Does it matter? And there's 153 fish that are being counted. So, moms, 153 boo-boos that you take care of, of diapers that you change, of, 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 of pickups that you do at games, guys, dads, of caring, reading with your kids, praying with your kids. Every deed that is done, we're going to work and faithfully working and bringing home an honest paycheck, All of that is accounted for by the living Lord. Number six, the unbroken net was appropriately mentioned. Nothing will be lost. Listen, when you give up to live for Jesus, nothing you give up will be what you give up, what you gain. You will never lose what you gain, and you won't be sorry for what you lost. Did I confuse you on that? Listen, when you live for Him, you don't lose in the long run. You just don't lose. You say, but it's costing me this. Putting Him first in my finances is costing me money. Putting Him first. I was talking to Brian, Brian and George. Cutting our grass. Praise God. Hallelujah. It always looks beautiful on Sunday. Significant for guests and invites. Significant for me. I leave Friday getting to see a beautiful lawn when I leave here. Excited about coming Sunday. But when those guys are out in the heat cutting that grass, nothing's lost. And Jesus takes account of that. So here's the bottom line. There's an old way of life and there's a new way of life. Which side of the balance are you living? Which side are you living? Are you living in frustration, having caught nothing, or fulfillment where the net doesn't break and nothing's lost? Are you living in barrenness, nothing to show for all your busyness? Or are you living in fruitfulness? Are you living in distance out on the chaotic sea while Jesus stands on the beach of stability? Or are you in closeness with Him Where John says, or John's able to say, hey, it's the Lord, and Peter's able to jump in the water and draw close. Are you living in guilt, or have you been restored? Are you living in knowledge? Oh yeah, we know the Lord's risen. Or are you living in experience of the risen Lord? Are you living with purpose, purposelessness, where fishing on the weekend is your greatest joy? Or are you living with purposefulness? where evangelism and and discipleship on missions. You see, following the old way of life is busy but barren. Following the old way of life is busy but barren. Following the new way of life is fruitful and fulfilling. So which side of the ledger are you living on? And what are you going to do this summer? I mean, we're already in the middle of June. What are you going to do? What are the benefits of obeying this new way of life? Let me sum up with five points here of application. First of all, as you live the new way of life in obedience to Jesus, you're going to have deeper insight into who he is. You're going to have deeper insight. John said, it is Lord. Why did John have 2020 spiritual vision and the other guys are like, who's that guy giving fishing advice, you know? The reason is he was had intimacy. What are you going to do this summer to draw closer to your risen Lord? What are you going to do? What are you going to read? How are you going to pray? How you, how, how's your uh, how's your worship going to go with this body of Christ this summer? Number two, greater intimacy, deeper insight, greater intimacy. As soon as John said, "It's the Lord." Peter jumps into the water. Why? Because he wants to be near Jesus. Amen? He wanted to be near Jesus. Number three, better results of what the risen Lord can only perform. Better results. Bring what you caught. You know, again, this is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat, we each come before the Lord one-on-one, eyeball-to-eyeball, toe-to-toe, just us, nobody else there. Not our spouses, not our children, not our parents, not our pastors, not our friends. And he's going to say, bring what you caught. He's going to say, bring what you caught. And what he wants us to be catching are people that we've evangelized, that we've discipled, missionaries we've prayed for, lost people that are getting saved around the world because of our giving, our praying better results. And number 4, richer provision. Richer provision, breakfast already prepared. How is Jesus going to provide through you this summer for others? 153 fish more than they could eat. The point was I'm going to I want you to be on mission to where I'll provide for you, but I'll give you enough that you can share with others. So think with me, this summer, what are you doing with all that God has given you to reach out and reach more people? And then number five, closer encounters of the real kind. Really what this message is about is about not wasting your life. And so I want to end on this Father's Day showing you a video that uh, that we've seen before. Some of you have seen before, but... Uh, probably needs to be seen on a regular basis. And so this is a letter from Jim and Sharon Smith's son, Jim and Sharon, missionaries that we have supported and continue to partner with in various ways. It's their son, Zach, who wrote this letter to himself back when he wrote back to his old self when he was 17. You'll understand it once you watch it. Take a look.
1: Dear Zach, this is your future self writing you a letter. I am 32 years old, and I live in South Carolina. It is the summer of 2009. I am writing you this letter in an effort to give you a glimpse into your future. My hope is that you will read this, dwell on it, and modify your behavior appropriately. I know you better than anyone else does, except God. And I know you will be wary of the content of this letter. You will want to avoid it because you think you can do better on your own. And you can if you listen to me. Please accept this help. You are 17 years old. You are about to graduate from high school and go off to college. You are excited about the adventure ahead. But this letter is not about telling you all the details of your life, where you're going to live, who you're going to marry, all about your kids. I am writing this letter as a warning. And let me get right to the point. I have some news, and it is not good. It is very unlikely you will live another 17 years, for we now have cancer, and it is bad cancer. In fact, it is really bad. You will have surgery one day to remove over two feet of your intestine, and the cancer will keep spreading to other organs. You will undergo a nasty bunch of chemotherapy. And after that, I cannot say, for that is now the present situation. I am now 32, and I may not make it to age 34. You may have already lived past your life's halfway point. I want to impress on you the gravity of this situation. As I reflect on the life I have led that you have not yet seen, I am deeply saddened. I always thought there would be more time. The things that are now important to me are not important to you. I'm specifically talking about your relationship with God and your outlook on humanity. God is real. I know you know that. The things you have been taught in church, the things you have read about for so many years, they are all true. All humans will experience eternity after they die. Some will go to a very real place called heaven and live. Others will go to a very real place called hell and suffer forever. The time on earth is so short for humans and for us it's even shorter. It would be amazing if we live half the time that most humans live. I want to teach you two things in light of this. First you need to recognize that God has given you many different gifts and talents and abilities. You are able to do much and the way you have been wired up is unique. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 3 says that we will all be judged according to our works one day. If our works are like wood or straw or hay, we are told we will suffer loss. If our works are like gold or silver or precious stones, we will be rewarded. I want to be rewarded, and so do you. You have been given much, and it will be tempting as you go off into college and into your independence to squander your opportunities. You will be tempted to hide who you are, to hide what you believe, even the fact that you believe in God. I recognize now that there is much more that I could have done. I am now firmly wrapped in a sense of urgency. We can rest when we get to heaven. Now is the time to get to work and put into practice what we believe. I am desperately trying to finish well, but if I could teach you anything, it would be to start right now as you are at 17 years old. Seek God and obey Him. The second thing I want to teach you is how you can practically put this into play. You must break your heart for the people around you. You must love them. You must be passionate about them. John the Apostle in his first letter says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. You claim to love God, the very real, tangible way to love God is to show that love to other people. You are going to live in a variety of different cities and states, you're going to travel to some fantastic countries around the world, and you're going to meet many, many people. Keep this at the forefront of your mind. Love them and show them the way to Jesus. You will be faced with many struggles in this life. My encouragement is that you pick the harder path. You will be more like Christ and your character will be developed. Pick the harder path. You will meet and interact with so many different people. Try to learn something from every one of them. It is not an accident that you have met them. And desperately try to leave each and every one of them better off than when you first met them. I keep using the word desperate in this letter for that betrays my urgency. Desperately pursue God and use the things that he has given you. And desperately pursue the people around you and love them. Our time is short, my friend. Let's get to work.
0: I tell you, that gets me every time. The time is short, my friend. Let's get to work. Not the time to go fishing for fish. It's time to go fishing for men and women and children. It's time to count the cost, take the harder path, and follow Jesus. Amen? And you say, well, what about the other people we're going to see next week? Jesus is going to say, What is that to you? Follow me. You follow me. Dads, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Because whatever the cost, nothing will be lost and the nets won't be broken. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we. We thank you that you're a God of second chances, that you meet us where we are, and yet you meet us standing as Lord and Savior. You restore the the sinner. You you save them. You restore the disobedient follower. You, You challenge us. Do we really love you? If so, then obey me. Draw near to me. Spend time with me. And so, Father, I pray that we won't waste our lives. We won't waste our parenting, our fatherhood. We won't waste our marriages. We won't waste our singleness. We won't waste our summer. But we'll follow you. And instead of going fishing the old way, we'll live the new way. And be busy, but not barren and actually be fruitful and fulfilled. We pray these things, and I pray them for each individual here, each one, no accident, you are here today. I pray, Lord, that we will get to work in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, have a great Father's Day. Meet at Aaron's at 3. Aaron's at 3. Bring a side dish.